Hey everyone. When someone is a huge fan of the Beatles or Gilmore Girls, we think that's a fun hobby. So why do we get so judgmental when someone is just a huge fan of money? Today's book is I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. <laughs> I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and someone who has been debt-free three times in his life. <laughs> Hint, the first time was when I was born. <laughs> And I'm David Vance. My money story is that I work as a comedian and marketer, but when I met my girlfriend's parents, I just said marketer. I Will Teach You To Be Rich is a practical guide to gaining wealth. But how can I trust the author when the guy doesn't even wear a monocle? <laughs> and this is The Book File. All right, if you want to see me live, I'm going to be in Carlsbad, California, October 28th. I have a bunch more dates coming up soon. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. Finally, our next two books are Frankenstein and the Charisma Myth. I picked today's book because it's my favorite personal finance book. I also like books that make big promises. I think Grapes of Wrath should be called I Will Teach You to Be Bored. <laughs> but Kellen, what did you think? I read this book much more recently than you have, and I'm looking forward to putting into practice several of his tips, including leaving my bank. Mm -hmm. uh, it, <laughs> it's hard not to feel a little bit attacked hearing how much he hates Wells Fargo, and I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I will say he writes aggressively, and he also tries to be funny, but he just comes off as aggressively unfunny. <laughs> Like when he first mentions how much it infuriates him when he hears the advice that to be better money minded, you need to stop ordering lattes. And he says, quote, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to fill my tub with cold brew and drown in it. And it's like, OK, buddy, if anything, you should stop drinking caffeine and maybe hire an actual joke writer. I will say, though, that because he tries so hard, it does make for an easier read or listen than most other financial books that I've quit halfway sure. through. Like, he certainly swears a lot more than that Mickey Mouse Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many books have information that would change our lives for the better, but we stop them because they're boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and without further ado... Here are four lessons that we took from I Will Teach You To Be Rich. All right, lesson one, negotiate your salary. For me, the best part of this book is when he talks negotiation. And by the way, don't you think negotiation makes you a better parent because you get a lot of practice saying that's not good enough? <laughs> so here, here are some of his top salary negotiation tips. One is apply to multiple places because if you get more than one job offer... Sometimes you can start a bidding war, which is where multiple companies offer you more and more money. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how in dating, a mean guy will pretend to be nice just because he knows you have a lot of options. <laughs> <laughs> Next, before your interview, check salary.com and payscale.com to figure out a fair salary and also ask people who just left the company what you should be expecting. And then know ahead of time, here's the salary I would love. Here's the realistic option. Here's what I would settle for, which again, great dating advice. <laughs> I didn't know about that, but payscale.com, it sounds like it's Kelly Blue Book, but for your own self-worth. <laughs> you look it up and it already has a photo of you looking sad. <laughs> <laughs> I also love it when people complain. They're like, did you know that the Chinese government has a social currency system? And uh -huh. it's like, oh yeah, we certainly don't. <laughs> But I will tell you exactly how much money you're worth. 
Yeah, for sure. What their government is doing is horrifying. But also, you know, we can't apply to anything without either a credit score or a GPA, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) You know, every dating app asks you your height. (laughs) (laughs) Then here's a big one. He says, bring to the interview a plan for how you'll hit your goals in the job, because then you're not just asking for money. You're showing, here's the value I will bring. Mm. Mm-hmm. Another one in the interview is smile. I remember my first job in consulting. I was a pretty jovial college student. And then I put on that shirt and tie and became this somber monk. <laughs> I don't know why I thought consulting required this like sober, joyless visage. <laughs> Another one, practice the negotiation with your friends. Kellen, imagine you have a basketball game coming up and that game determines your salary. And now imagine the first time you play basketball is the game. Mm. So he says, just practice the negotiation and you'll be surprised how quickly you get better. Mm. He has way more negotiation tips that I can't hit today. So I, I really recommend this part of the book. I think that's fantastic. And it should be obvious advice, but I don't think that it is. At least it wasn't for me. And I'm just projecting my own self on the entire world population. <laughs> um, but when I had the unexpected and very fortunate opportunity to audition for Saturday Night Live. I only told a couple of people, sorry, Dave. And um, Wait, did you know me at the time? No, but I still, (laughs) I just apologize a lot. That's part of my personality. Take that, Chinese social currency. But I'd heard enough stories about those people who are lucky enough to do well in the audition and get that follow-up interview with Lorne Michaels. And for those of you who listened to our Bossy Pants episode, which is one of my favorites, uh, episode 13, that's when I tell the story in full and how I, I did see Lorne Michaels' floating head illuminated during my audition. And it wow. was the scariest uh, five minutes of comedy I've ever done. So in lieu of that potential scary interview. I asked a friend of mine who uh, who works in the government and has had many high stakes interviews. I asked him if he had any advice. And it wasn't just to like passive aggressively brag. Like, I just wanted to get your advice because I'm auditioning for Saturday Night Live. (laughs) (laughs) He said, think of every possible question they'll have and know what you're going to say. Hmm. And it it was crazy to me at the time that it, that didn't even really occur to me. And so how often does that happen that for some reason we will go into these interviews with, nah, I'll just wing it. <laughs> <laughs> My sisters both did Distinguished Young Woman. And one of the interview tips they taught me was go into the interview with like seven amazing stories about yourself. And then find ways, whatever they ask, to connect it to one of those seven stories. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lesson two, it's okay to be 85% perfect. So Sethi introduces what he calls the 85% solution. He says, quote, getting started is more important than becoming an expert, which I think is great. But it's also what got me kicked out of passenger plane flying school. (laughs) Because I just got in there like, hey, everyone, getting started is the most important thing. Buckle up, everyone. (laughs) Captain Kellen believes in learning on the job. You are enough. You are enough. (laughs) (laughs) Then I just revved those planes' engines. 
So he's obviously talking about money stuff. Better to just start paying a little more toward your debt or saving or investing a little into something, really anything, than to continue to do 0%. Because the idea of finding, quote, the best financial plan is daunting. So my wife and I had credit card debt, especially during the pandemic, because I don't collect no handouts from the government. Just kidding. We did. There just weren't enough. <laughs> Plus, we had very close friends and family who know who they are, and they were very kind. But with the aftermath of COVID, we were left with more debt than we wanted. You know how you always want a little just to feel alive. And once things started picking... That's why my girlfriend went to med school. <laughs> but once my job started picking back up again for me, we, we attacked all of it by just simply listing our debts and priority of worst APR to least to worst, figuring we'd pay off the ones that were making the most money off of us every month. I still don't know if this was the best plan, but I'm glad that we did it. Also, I'm not flexing because I've still got plenty of student loan debt, even after Biden did whatever that thing was. But <laughs> we're pretty much through completing our imperfect plan, so we're better off than we would have been with zero plan. Do you ever, in a group of friends, complain about your student loan debt to make it sound like you graduated? <laughs> <laughs> that was Dave's uh, sly way of letting everyone know how well I did in college. <laughs> but to answer your question, yes. Um, I do wish I would have read this book before all this because I didn't know that I could have tried calling credit card companies and asking to have the rates lowered. According to mm -hmm. Sethi, phoning Visa and just asking for a better APR actually works half the time. Wow. But I mean, if that's true, Sethi, then uh, just call twice. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's due for another edition of his book. But Dave, I do want to know, how have you dealt with credit card debt? Did you use the APR method or the snowball approach? Have you ever had credit card debt? Are you a human? Have you ever had a single problem, Dave? <laughs> I feel like there's more to this question. than. <laughs> <laughs> so I do mean to flex, but I have not had credit card debt. <laughs> But but it's not always for happy reasons. It's like, okay, have no family. <laughs> live in a cheap place because no one else wants to live there. <laughs> and then I was just lucky that I went to a very inexpensive college. Like, what, what am I going to do? Mock someone who went to Harvard because of how much they had to spend? <laughs> I once did a job for a university that it wasn't as prestigious as Ivy League, but it cost just the same. And someone there said that their entire strategy is bring in dumb rich kids who will pay enough that we can give scholarships to smart poor kids. <laughs> it had the most expensive cars I've ever seen in a college parking lot in my life. Whoa. Hold on. You don't have to name the college, but I'll just ask in code. Did Dumbledore have one of these as a pet? <laughs> I'll answer in code. It's not a university that Northern Methodists go to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my takeaway is that I would say that it works to initiate whatever project at even just 40 or 55% perfect because I recently went back and listened to the first few episodes of this podcast and... I guess the important thing is that we got started. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lesson three, it's hard to beat index funds. I feel like I'm supposed to start this lesson with that disclaimer of this is not investment advice. Mm -hmm. You know how you're allowed to break that law just by saying you're not breaking it? (laughs) Imagine being like, this is not a bank robbery. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Kellen, I want to start with a real world example. How much money do you have? (laughs) I don't have time to count all of it on this. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to know, because sometimes your money gets stuck in the the chlorine filter of the money pool. (laughs) I think most of us, when we invest, we want to find that perfect stock that's going to take us to the moon. And he's saying, look, just invest in index funds. An index fund, if you don't know, basically means you're investing in a ton of companies at once instead of one company. And so instead of choosing a stock, you're saying, I think the stock market will do well in the long term. And historically, you get a lot of good years with a couple bad years sprinkled in, like just a random example, this year. (laughs) But even the bad years historically don't cancel out the good ones. I just looked at the S&P 500, which is a big index fund, and this year it's down really bad. But if you invested in 2008 and just hung on, you still about tripled your money counting for inflation. Mm -hmm. And those are investments you can do really easily on Vanguard.com, like you could do it today. Just to show how big small gains can become, Kellen, if I put 10,000 in an index fund and the fund grows an average of 7% a year and I keep it there 50 years, you want to guess how big it gets? $10,000? I'm going to say 125000 Almost $300,000. Oh, my word. So his basic point is the index fund, it seems small in the short term, but over the long term, it can be gigantic. And that's why one of the things he says is your 20s are your most important investing years because it's just important to start early. I do love that a few times in the book is like, The best time was when you were younger. The second best time is right now. I would would love it if he followed it with, but if you're like 60, I'm sorry. (laughs) I hope you kept the receipt for this book. Now, a lot of people invest with financial planners and money managers, and they say, oh, my person is really good. But what money managers don't tell you is in the long term, they almost all do worse than index funds. Mm. And in the meantime, they charge you huge fees. It was fascinating to me when he said, guess what the best stock was from 2008 to 2018? And I was thinking like Netflix, Amazon, and the answer is Domino's Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes sense. Have you had their pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Like there are people who say, oh, I really like Tesla as a company, so I'm going to invest in them. Well, when you invest in Tesla, you're not betting that they're a good company. You're betting that I know something that the overall stock market does not know about how good Tesla is. (laughs) I think people are underestimating Tesla, and I have specialized knowledge about why they're underestimating Mm -hmm. them. Now, if you're a member of Congress, maybe you do have specialized knowledge. (laughs) Like if you know every other electric car company is about to get regulated. (laughs) Someone asked me the other day, should I just wait till the stock market is at the bottom before I invest? And what's funny is that if we knew it was at the bottom and it's only going to go up from here, it would already be going up because everyone would be investing. (laughs) All right. Lesson four, buying generic crackers won't make you rich. 
I've met enough people who have lived this way to know that their financial success didn't come exclusively from their clipping coupons, but because these are the same people who are just as consistent about everything else, like saving every month, investing every month, maybe having rental properties, et cetera. It's the, I think it's the consistency of larger moves that's growing your wealth. Yeah. The monthly Roth IRA contributions, not the 75 cents you saved on Cheerios. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like if you met a guy at the gym who was there every day for three hours doing 12 different exercises, you asked him how he got stacked, and he was like, oh, mostly just by jogging. <laughs> Sethi's advice, and advice is putting it lightly since he pretty much yells at you, <laughs> is to focus on the macro instead of the micro. He tells a story of a friend of his who switches banks every three to four months to chase the best rates saving him an average of $300 a year. Holy crap. That's 82 cents a day. He says, with the same money, why not spend the same time optimizing your asset allocation or starting a side business or spending time with your family? I love that that's his last suggestion. I'm sure that's when his wife walked in the room while he was typing. (laughs) Or also being attentive to the emotional needs of your beautiful (laughs) wife. Yeah, it reminds me of how some people talk about carbon emissions where they're like, oh, yeah, I unplug my phone charger anytime I'm not using it so that I can fly to Paris two times a year. (laughs) It's like, I don't think that's canceling out the way you think it is. Yeah, Yeah, the next time someone is like, I only buy used cars, I want to be like, cool. How much was that inheritance? Because (laughs) I only burn used coal. As a child, I thought I might get an inheritance because my dad was in med school, and then he had nine other kids. (laughs) (laughs) The used car thing is especially wild to me because they say that is a pattern with like millionaires. They never buy new cars. And it's like, yeah, but like you don't need to virtue signal. I already know how much money you have. (laughs) The next car I'm buying, I'm buying it new. And I, I hate it when people are like, Yeah, but you lose whatever it is, $10,000 the moment you drive it off the lot. First of all, who has tested that out? Has anyone ever actually bought a new car, drove it across the street and tried to sell it? Like that seems unprovable. And second, I don't care because what I gain is peace of mind knowing that the car I'm driving, even if it's a dumb old Chevrolet... I can be confident that it won't just break down on me on a desert highway with the cool wind in my hair for at least two or three years. And I'm just kidding about Chevy. I just, I wanted to choose a specific brand to offend. I just rolled the dice. (laughs) I've had a car break down with my family on it in a dangerous situation. And I would rather that never happen again. Fun fact, I recently drove through part of Death Valley on the way back from Utah. And at one point, the ground temperature was 140. Wow. The surface of the ground. I felt real dumb that I had my family not wear shoes on that trip. (laughs) The scenario you're describing is actually similar to a very famous economics paper called The Market for Lemons. And I'm not going to describe it because the people who would find it interesting already know it and everyone else would hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many times someone interrupts me with, what you're actually doing is describing a famous economics paper. (laughs) 
Also, I'm not arguing against buying used cars. I know that uh, for most of us, me included, like your first car has to be a used car because that's the only thing that you can afford. I'm saying that once you don't have to anymore, I think there is uh, a lot of value in safety and time saved in buying a car that you will just function for the next 60,000 miles, no matter what. <laughs> sure. My first car was a used red Honda Civic. Before I drove it at all, my little brother, Jake, locked himself in it and peed himself in the driver's seat. <laughs> and then I hit a deer with it and it crumpled my hood and I didn't take it to get repaired for a while. And so driving on the highway, the hood flew up and smashed my windshield oh. and I had to drive with the narrow strip under the hood. <laughs> Finally, I got it all repaired. I was about to start a semester at college. And I stayed at my aunt's house the night before, and I woke up and someone had done a hit and run just on her street, and the car was total. <laughs> and then suspiciously, a man showed up that morning offering to buy the totaled car. <laughs> oh, my God. That was the coldest winter of my life, and I drove this dumb little dinky scooter all year. <laughs> I would love it if, if after you hit the deer the next day... A deer in a cast showed up offering to buy your car. <laughs> <laughs> They're running like insurance fraud schemes. <laughs> All right, random facts. In my last house, I had a financial secret, which is my friend Tori for Halloween. She took like a Rembrandt painting of an old man and she digitally put my face on it and printed it out. <laughs> so it just looks, it looks like a huge portrait of my like Dutch ancestor in the 1600s. <laughs> Anyway, after Halloween, I used the portrait. It's a big portrait. I used it to hide a little door into the attic. And if you found the door and opened it, I was hiding gold in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. That's like you, you did your own Da Vinci code. Anytime I checked on the gold, it was like doing a little treasure hunt for myself. <laughs> So it's crazy to me. Sethi says that the nickname that credit card companies have for people who pay off their bills every month is deadbeat. <laughs> I guess, what, what does that even mean? It means that they're, <laughs> they're of no use. You know how a deadbeat dad pays the child support every month right on time? <laughs> he says in the book, apparently the average cost of an American wedding comes to about $35,000. Isn't it crazy that right when you need money the most, you spend all of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently, my wife and I saved about $33,000. <laughs> but seriously, we, uh, we, we had our wedding reception at this beautiful little cozy wedding reception facility. Uh, a facility makes it sound like it was a high school. It was an actual, it was like this <laughs> cottage sort of place. And it was a small wedding, just our families. And we did it for just two hours during lunchtime, which is way cheaper than dinner. I thought it was a win-win <laughs> too, because all of our guests got the rest of their Saturday. It was the most <laughs> empathetic wedding reception in history, I think, because that's always to me the worst. Like anytime I get a wedding invite, it's like an invitation to not have a weekend. <laughs> and for anyone whose wedding I've been to, uh, this isn't meant for you, because if I went to yours, it means that I wanted to. <laughs> good save, good save. <laughs> Except for you, Trevor. So... 
I don't have a joke for this one, but something that I did find super helpful uh, from this book that I don't know why I wasn't doing it before was having as many bills as possible uh, just automatically paid every month. Oh, yeah. Including like any credit cards that you have, at least having the minimum on there just to avoid late fees. Like it just mm -hmm. in general, it just it, it works so well. And having that that peace of mind. And I'll just, I guess, throw in a whoopee cushion noise right here so that it's, uh, so that this talking point is funny. <laughs> oh, having no credit card debt, it's very funny to me. <laughs> Speaking of money, I have a story about 50 Cent. I was telling my girlfriend about how 50 Cent got shot nine times, and she thought I meant nine occasions. <laughs> Which... Just imagine like, oh, hey, 50, that guy is back. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I'm not a cat. <laughs> so uh, I want everyone to know that I fully understand how it is to hear financial advice. I hope that nothing we've said has come off as unempathetic. Uh, I know that everyone is in a completely different place. I've been pretty open about how bad things have been for me many times in the past. And during one particularly rough time about 10 years ago, my wife and I had a friend who posted on Facebook that she had just recently followed a couple new financial tips, and now she and her husband were saving $5,000 a month. Wow. And it just seemed so tone deaf because we were like, we don't even make that much a month. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then you know what, Dave? We stopped eating fast food, and we did have And now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what i think is that it's so ridiculous so much of the time when people post anything on social media as if everyone is exactly like them <laughs> yeah it's like but this year we cut our weight staff in half and <laughs> <laughs> this year we fired the servants who tried to unionize and wouldn't you know it <laughs> Ever since we joined private jet Uber, <laughs> jet bluber. <laughs> oh man, I would love to ride a bluber just so at the end of flying privately across the world, I could leave him four stars and be like, eh, he didn't have a charger. <laughs> we also don't want you to be offended by our financial advice because legally it's not financial advice. Oh yes. <laughs> All of this was one big joke. <laughs> this was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from I Will Teach You to Be Rich. One, negotiate your salary. Two, be okay with an 85% perfect plan. Three, it's hard to beat index funds. Four, buying generic crackers won't make you rich. And five... Save money by just making your chauffeur and your footman the same person. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you can continue listening to this for free. See you next Monday.